Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. As we have uh, concluded the Sermon on the Mount, we're moving now to as Jesus comes down the mountain, He begins to do some miraculous work. As His teaching reveals His authority, so too does His ministry in in healing and uh, exercising demons and having dominion over the creation and calming the storm. And these accounts are laid out for us in Matthew uh, following this amazing sermon. And it's fitting that, that such authoritative words would be followed by actions that show uh, not just an authority in teaching, but an authority in work and in power and in the lives of those who are he's interacting with. He has authority to heal and authority over creation, authority over demons, authority to forgive sin. This morning, we're going to look primarily at his um, authority to heal. And as we think about that, and as we think about the way that Matthew lays this out, uh, we're going to go back to the previous two verses of Matthew 7 as we read to remind us of that. Um, and, and that's really the theme of this whole section. And we want to uh, remember that and seek to hold that idea of Christ's authority as we go through our sermon today, but also over the following uh, weeks, Lord willing, as we spend time in this section of God's Word. So we're going to read starting in verse 28 of Matthew 7 through chapter 8, verse 17. This is God's holy Word. Please give it your attention. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And when He came down from the mountain, great crowds followed Him. And behold, a leper came to Him and knelt before Him, saying, Lord, if You will, You can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out His hand and touched Him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. 
And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Please pray with me as we go to the author of these words and ask that He would work in us as we meditate upon them. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You how in Your sovereignty and by Your Spirit You inspired Matthew to um, write these things down, to give an account of what Your Son did during His ministry on earth. Father, we look to the same Spirit that inspired these words to uh, reveal truth to us, to work in our hearts, to um, change us, Father. May we grow in our faith and our love for You by Your Word in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, each of the Gospel writers have a different focus, a different um, quality and characteristic, different perspective. As they write, they present things in a certain structure. And you can look at all of the Gospels and you can uh, see how with their different intentions as they're laid out and we, we get to know them more, um, we see uh, why they maybe structured certain things in certain ways, um, compiled the accounts of what Jesus done did uh, in certain uh, orders, uh, not always following a strict chronology. The overarching structure for what we have here, and as we look to this from Matthew, uh, is laid out for us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And I'd encourage you to flip back there. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. In that verse, we see um, that once he begins his ministry, he's called his disciples, he's been baptized, he's faced temptation, he begins his ministry. And it says, And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And then we get uh, some insight into some of that proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. Um, We see the Sermon on the Mount and what Christ did, and Matthew shows us those teachings. Then Jesus comes down from the mountain, and we have an account of some of the things he did after that. And then in verse... 35 of chapter 9. We see the same summary account. Chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. What we have is Matthew's laying out an an intentional structure. In in chapter 4, he gives this summary. And that's the the beginning of what we're about to see. And then in chapter 9, we see the bookend statement. And everything in between is, is, uh, is his compiling of those events. And all of that, this structure, is with intention. Uh, we have, in, in, again, as we looked at earlier on in Matthew, uh, one of these formula statements, this was done to fulfill blank. And he quotes a prophecy from the Old Testament. And we have that again. Matthew is doing that with intention. He structures the Gospel, his account of what Christ did, um, to show us 
truth about who Christ is and what He came to do and why He came to do it. We see in Matthew the authority of Christ. And particularly that He had the right to that authority because He is the Messiah. He is the promised One of the Old Testament. And Matthew is driving that home with his account of what was done by Christ. Christ has authority. He has the authority to teach and to instruct on the Gospel of the Kingdom of Heaven. He has the authority to act and to do amazing work. He has authority. What does that authority do? In particular, and what we see here in chapter 8, is that He has authority to lead God's people out from under the curse. Christ has authority to lead God's people out from under the curse. That curse due to sin. When Adam, that first man, that representative of God's people, of of His creation, of man who is made in His image, when Adam sinned, all of creation fell under the curse of sin. And we feel it, don't we? We feel the effects of the curse. We experience those effects. We have experiences with suffering, with sin, with the evil one, tormenting and pursuing. That is the fallenness of creation after sin. But God sent someone to lead His people out didn't he? We're not left in that estate. He sent someone who can make things right. Christ has the authority to make things right. We have a deliverer. And Christ came with that authority to, in, in a sense, reverse the curse. The One who can make all things right has come. Matthew is testifying to these truths. We ought to ask ourselves today, will you follow Him? The One who has authority to save. Our particular focus this morning as we look to this section of Matthew 8 is is His authority and, and power to deliver us from sickness and suffering. So so our main point is follow the Christ who has authority to heal, to save from sickness, to save from suffering. There's three accounts of healing. And we see in that, in these accounts, that this message is for you, whoever you are. That Christ came for all types. That He came to save outcasts and misfits to save outsiders and people from all walks of life. The first of these outsiders and outcasts is the leper. We ought to follow Christ because it is, it is His will that we would be clean. That is what we learn from this leper. A leper was an outcast from society due to his illness. Uh, leprosy is kind of a catch-all term for, for a serious skin condition. Um, and it's thought to be highly contagious. In the Levitical law, they, they had to be removed from 
society. They had they they're ritually unclean, completely isolated, unable to work, to live life, even to worship. In many ways, it's the walking dead. Not yet dead, but really not alive. It has no right to any normal life. Unable to live uh, as we are ought, we're meant to live, as we're created to live. Often in Scripture, it's referred to as an incurable disease. Good as dead. And we can consider the account from 2 Kings 4. You can think of uh, Naaman. Uh, that Syrian general, and he came to the king of Israel because of that servant girl who said, there's someone in Israel who can save you. And when Naaman came uh, to the king, remember how the king of Israel responded. He tore his clothes and said, am I God? Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? To cure leprosy requires an act of God. From a medical and earthly perspective, it's an impossible task. It's a, it's a uh, designation to death. So we look and we're amazed by the faith of this leper. This leper believed that Christ had the authority to save. He comes to him and he kneels down before him. Uh, he bows before Him. He prostrates Himself. It's a recognition of authority, even connotations of worship and divinity. And we look at His co- confidence. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The, the question for the leper wasn't, is Christ able? The question for the leper was, are you willing? Is it your will that I be made clean? And you can sense that he has faith in the ability, but there's also uncertainty. Does this man, this great teacher and healer, does he care for me? Is he going to do it? Will he save me? And notice, notice Jesus' response I am willing. I am willing. I do care for you. This is my concern. I am willing. This is my will that you would be clean. And leprosy in Scripture is often a picture of our sinful state. The Levitical stigma points us to that. This this good of as dead state. Sin alienates us from the good that God has made us to, to have. It drives us away from a regular life, from a good life, a God-created life. It drives us away from relationships and from worship. Sin is the walking dead. And it's incurable from an earthly perspective. There's nothing we can do in ourselves to get rid of that awful burden of sin. Maybe you remember when you first came to Christ and you looked at to Him with a bit of shame and hesitancy. Are you willing to save me? Maybe today you question your salvation and you think about your sin and all that you have done and you have some shame as you come before Christ. Am I worthy? Are you really willing to save me? 
I am willing, he says. I am willing. Jesus cares for the broken, the outcast, the sinner. Notice how he communicates that care and that willingness to that outcast leper. He could have merely spoken, and we'll see that. The, the power of his word is enough. But what does he do? He reaches out and he touches him. He touches the leper and he makes him well, that he would be healed. He takes his sickness upon himself. He carries his burdens and he lifts him up. And what happens as he reaches out and he touches this leper? Does Christ become unclean? Does the disease spread? No, he is the perfect Lamb of God. God Himself, fully God and fully man. And when He touches the unclean, the unclean becomes clean. It's the opposite of the natural order. A dirty thing makes other things dirty. You can't make something clean by touching it with something dirty. But the clean touches the unclean and it becomes clean. He bears His burden. He lifts Him up. And then he instructs the leper to, to follow the, the Mosaic instruction of Leviticus 14. If someone thinks that they've recovered from leprosy, they can't just come back into society. There's steps. They needed to be examined by a priest and they needed to bring an offering. And Christ instructs him. And we see his intention. Christ didn't merely want to heal the man of the disease. He wanted to restore him to life. Our Savior delivers us from suffering. He saves us, but He doesn't just save us from sin. He saves us unto life. He saves us, uh, he, he delivers not only from physical, but also social suffering. Our Savior restores us from a life of isolation and gives us a life of community. A good life, a life as we were created to be made. And we see those intentions as He sends the leper on His way. The Messiah's will is for His people to be clean, to be restored, to be made well, brought from death to life. Next, we see the centurion. And we're reminded to follow Christ by faith. We have another outsider here, but not because of disease, but because he was a Gentile. And yet he approaches Jesus and he attests to Christ's authority. When Christ responds in verse 7, when the centurion comes to him, in verse 7, in the Greek, that really reads more as a, as a question. You would have me come to heal him? And that makes some sense of how the centurion responds. Uh, you, uh, I am not worthy of you to even come into my home. And there's some recognition of uh, that it would have been um, improper and unlikely for this Jewish teacher, this someone who's coming of great prominence, a Jew, to come into the home of a Gentile. And this centurion humbly acknowledges that, but notice his faith is undeterred. He says, you can't come to my home. But Christ, you do not need to come to my home. You have authority and power. 
There's a nice connection here as we're coming out of the Sermon on the Mount from the authority of Christ's Word in teaching to the authority of His Word in healing. Christ's Word is powerful. The Word of God has power. And that power is not confined to space or time. It doesn't grow old or irrelevant. It is powerful. And Christ is amazed by the faith of the centurion. He marvels. That word, uh, over the course of Matthew, uh, for marvel, thumezo, is used multiple times, at least six times, to describe the reaction of the crowds to what Jesus has done. But here it's used to describe Christ's reaction to the faith of this centurion. This man's practical and simple faith amazes Jesus. This centurion, you can get the sense of his no-nonsense attitude. He's down to earth. He says, I'm a man of authority. I know what happens when you have authority. If you say that something must be done, it gets done. Christ is amazed that he recognizes the power of the Messiah's authority. May we treasure the things that amaze Christ. May we treasure a simple and practical faith. It amazed Christ. May we seek that and long for that and pursue that. Many will place their faith in this or that. In all sorts of things. Many will have their own ways of responding to suffering, to being confronted by the curse due to sin, the brokenness of this world. But a simple and practical faith amazed Christ. May we seek to have a simple and practical faith in the One who has authority to save. Thirdly, we see Peter's mother-in-law. And in this last section, our main focus is going to be Matthew's uh, summary statement that, of the things that took place to fulfill the prophecy. But I want to look at this, this miracle quickly. Um, there's two things I want us to recognize. First, this sickness is ordinary. I would wager that many of us have been uh, taken out by a fever. Uh, we've been in that experience. Christ came to deliver us from suffering and not just death or dramatic suffering, but all suffering. The common and the ordinary. All suffering. Even a fever. His promises are for a complete healing. Secondly, uh, He didn't merely heal, but He gave strength that inspired service. You'll notice that after he heals this woman, she gets up and she begins to serve. She begins to wait on them as a, as a waiter would wait on tables. She, she shows hospitality and care. That is the proper response to healing. That is the proper response to salvation and restoration. Service is the good and right response. But let's focus now on this statement. All of this was done to fulfill 
what the prophet Isaiah said. He took our illnesses. He bore our diseases. He took our suffering. He carried with Him our illnesses. Jesus cares. As we look to these three miracles, the, the emphasis, the clear message, message is that Jesus is not apathetic to the suffering of those around Him. The suffering of the lost. He cares. He is personally concerned with the suffering of His people. The second person of the Trinity, the God-man, is concerned for your suffering. One of Matthew's primary concerns is to show the unity of the Gospel with the Old Testament. How does Matthew begin? It begins with that genealogy. Here's where we've been. Here's where we are. It's connected. And then in those first several chapters, over and over again, he's quoting the Old Testament. This was done to fulfill what was promised. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the One you have been waiting for. Jesus is the one spoken of in Isaiah 53 that will fix, deal, make right the sin of God's people. He is the long-awaited Messiah. Matthew here draws out how he fulfilled messianic expectation, not just by his death, but in his earthly ministry. Who is this person? Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Almighty. He is able. He has authority to deliver, to fulfill the expectations of the Messiah. Matthew attests to it. As we look to that, and as we've considered these things, maybe you're asking yourself, did Christ do it? Did He deliver us from sickness? And that's a legitimate question, and that's a question that the church has answered in different ways. How do we answer that? How does the cross relate to healing? Are we to, to over-spiritualize these promises and what we read in Isaiah 53 and the miracles here? Are they merely pictures of the spiritual healing that we receive in Christ? Is the leper only a picture of of the spiritual state of a sinner. When Peter and Paul quote from the same verse in Isaiah 53, they focus on the spiritual healing, the, the iniquities of sin. But Matthew here is clearly connecting it to physical healing. Are these words of help and hope to us now? as we experience suffering and sickness in this life, do these verses matter when you are sick, when you are in physical pain? Some, I would say, go too far. And they point to these verses and they point to the cross and they say because of what Christ has done in His atoning work, then we ought to expect miracles of healing in this life. That that ought to be our expectation. And the only reason that we don't experience those miracles of healing is because of some lack in us. A lack of faith. I don't think that's what is being said here. 
Should we expect miracles on our terms? No. First, in answering this, we ought to recognize that God has the power to save. And He does save. And He is the Lord and giver of life, and He does preserve His creation, despite the brokenness and the fallenness of this life. The fact that each person here has any life at all, has experienced any amount of health at all, is mercy. The fact that the human race continued on, that another baby was born after man in a cosmic rebellion sinned against God, the fact that another baby was born at all is mercy. The fact that the Lord gives life to any is mercy. Let's start with that perspective when we're concerned with our sickness. But secondly, when we experience suffering, it's right and good and we're told to ask that He would deliver us, that He would heal us, that He would restore us to health. And we should expect that He will answer us according to His will. Like the leper, we can say, if it is your will, you can heal me. And we ought to have faith in that. But at the same time, we ought to recognize that it might not be His will that we be healed in the ways that we want to be healed, in the time that we want to be healed. It may be His will that we continue to experience sickness. So we also pray, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Even considering all of that, there's real practical help for us in Matthew 8 as we are confronted by sickness. It teaches us that Christ cares. He cares for you when you're sick. He cares for you when you're suffering. He cares so much that He came to deliver us from sickness. Sickness is not merely a picture of sin. It's a result of sin. And Christ took care of the result of sin when He took care of sin. He came to deliver. God made creation good and sickness is a, is a result of the fall. And Jesus has primarily brought us healing by dealing with the reason for sickness. Jesus bore our sickness in the sense that He was punished for the sin that causes sickness. The reason there's sickness at all and He took care of it. He accomplished it. He finished it. If you are in Christ, if you know Him and love Him, and you've placed your faith in Him alone, then your faith has made you well. What Christ did in Matthew 8 is a testimony to that truth as we take hold of it by faith. I want you to hear this. Christ delivers us from sickness. The power of the curse has been broken. And that means that you have a sure and certain hope for healing. When you are confronted with the frailty of this life, look to Christ. As you recognize the weaknesses of your bodies, as your bodies grow old and you walk through that valley of the shadow of death, look to Christ. 
Children, when you get scrapes and bruises and broken arms and legs, and that you feel that pain, Christ cares for you. Mothers, when you experience pain in labor and you're confronted with the curse, look to Christ. As some of you experience chronic illnesses and there's no earthly solution, look to Christ. This too shall pass. It will not last forever. Christ took up our illnesses. May the hope of what He has done encourage you and restore you. If you are like me, physical suffering so often takes away our joy. It drives us inward and selfish. You begin to doubt God's favor and grace towards you. You may grow angry with God. You may ask, why do I have to suffer? As you struggle with those feelings and how to respond to sickness and suffering, follow Christ. Christ who suffered far more than any of us can imagine because He cares for you in your sickness and suffering. He may heal. He may bring relief in this life. Or He may not. But what is certain is that Jesus of Nazareth walked this earth He went through Galilee and the blind received their sight. The lame walked. The lepers were cleansed. The deaf heard and the dead were raised up. And the poor heard the good news preached to them. Our Savior has come. Our Savior has come. Suffering will end. The curse has been dealt with. May we wait and look to Him. Because He did all that, we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to even subject all things to Himself. When that happens, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, For the former things have passed away. Christ has the authority to save. Look to Him in your sickness, in your suffering. Follow Christ. Let's pray to that end. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You that we are not alone in our suffering. That You sent Your Son to suffer. And He knows our suffering. He knows our trials. He went through that great humiliation for us. May that truth, may that marvelous truth give us joy and hope and peace as we weary travelers walk through this life confronted with suffering and sickness and sin. May we follow Christ. And may Your Spirit work that into our hearts that this be a real and practical help for us in our days on this earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.